0: Hello everyone you are listening to Those Are the Girls with Mallory & Friends. I'm Mallory. And I'm Freeman. And we are changing culture and bringing back traditional
1: values. Absolutely. So, hi other girls. Um, For those of you who can't see us, we have a wonderful guest here. Um, We are going to be interviewing author and former Montessori school teacher, Mary Ellen Mons. Um, We are going to be asking her a lot about her career and the importance of education so, as we dive into Women's Month, um, we're just considering ways that culture shapes women in all, all forms. Um, female entrepreneurs definitely experience unique hurdles. Mm-hmm. And Mary Ellen is definitely an entrepreneur, she's definitely her own boss, um, and she's been doing a great job in this workforce. Um, and I, I just think she is such a great example of how women can use our God-given femininity to foster communities and use that nurturing spirit um, to better serve others. Um, when we were thinking about who to interview for this portion, education, I thought of Mary Ellen because I worked with her in her Age of Montessori um, kind of realm, and I really enjoyed working with her. I absolutely loved all of her insight, and she was the first person that came to mind. So Mary Ellen and I have some experience, but Mallory is just now meeting Mary Ellen. Um, so Mary Ellen, go ahead and tell the viewers where you're calling us from, first of all, because you are not in Charlotte, are you?
2: <laughs> no, I'm not in Charlotte. I was a few months ago, actually. I didn't know that's where you were. Yes, but, uh, yes I'm, in I'm, Bo- yeah, I'm in Bozeman, Montana. Awesome. And, uh, that is so fun. Today is maybe the beginning of a warming trend. It hasn't really got much above freezing for about almost four and a half months, and so we're looking for spring. <laughs> Whoa.
1: Geez. Yeah, we have a little front
2: today.
0: Yeah, it's been raining all day, so. Okay. <laughs> well,
2: you know, when when Freeman told me the name of your group, I had to laugh because when I was in high school, <laughs> I was part of a YWCA girls group and we called ourselves the otherwise (laughs) so welcome all you other girls other ladies that's a cool name (laughs) thank you thank you so
1: do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your career yourself and what is your passion
2: wow well i have been a montessori teacher as Freeman said, for many years. And then I transitioned into training teachers and created an online kind of a hybrid course where there's online and in-person segments um, of the training. And we train teachers in infant, toddler, early childhood and elementary level. My passion has been really the concept that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And I think ultimately it's the women and the mothers who have so much power and often don't claim it, don't utilize it. And Montessori is one of those wonderful ways to educate children that puts children and hopefully the teachers in what we call a spiritual preparation of the teacher into connection with their inner teacher. And that inner teacher is your connection to God. And that's what it really is. And Montessori understood that and I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Montessori, but it's a wonderful educational system for young children. And it's a a principle of helping people do things with their hands so that they get mastery of whatever it is. And And there's Montessori schools from, as I said, prenatal infant toddlers all the way up through college. And that's been my passion ever since 1971 when someone gave me a book about Montessori, actually, called The Absorbent Mind, and I read it. it, it, It said instead of just transferring information, which is what traditional education does, it's unleashing the radiant powers within. And that's only the God presence and the sense of holiness and sacredness that we all share, but we so often don't recognize and we live in a culture that doesn't recognize it. So it's really been my passion to awaken that.
0: Wow. Beautiful answer. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions before we even really get to the questions. <laughs> a couple of clarification <laughs> questions. So um, do the parents help at the monitoring school or like, because... Or Sometimes it...
2: they do. Sometimes okay. it's a co-op, but many times it's the teachers go through, like for our training, it's a two-year program. And so the teachers are very well trained in child development. We have the oh, t- okay. parents come and bring the children and really kind of get accustomed to what life's going to be like in the classroom. And then they just come to school every day.
0: Okay. Okay. That's what I yeah. thought. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whatever reason, I was like, oh, wait, do the parents? go?" Okay. So that was my only real clarification question. Okay. Absolutely.
2: Go right ahead. And Montessori is yeah, all over the world. Um, I've done a lot of training in Russia. I'm going actually next Sunday to South Africa where I'm going to be doing some training there and some That's schools. Wild. And yeah, looking forward to it.
1: So obviously you've spent a lot of time in this, you know, Montessori arena and you've not only have you gone from you know, of course, assistant teacher, you've gone all the way up to, of course, your own teacher, and you've been the head of school, you have really, really kind of climbed the ladder in a lot of ways. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that process? And maybe even what are some challenges you had to overcome in setting up your own school? I mean, that's such a daunting
2: task. (laughs) Team effort, I can tell you that much. Um, Yeah, I guess. I dropped out of college when I was young. I was a political science major, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And I thought, well, it's I can't spend my parents' money when I don't know what I want. So I dropped out and uh, kind of did some other things for a couple of years. And then I found Montessori, and I took that training and... Um, It was not until after my third child. I'm the mother of three grown children. It was not until after the birth of my third child in 1987 that I actually got my bachelor's degree. So I kind of did things backwards in those days. And still in many schools, you don't have to have a bachelor's to take Montessori training. And then Mm -hmm. I went on and I've been a lifelong learner. I'm always reading and studying things, even though I wasn't in school for many years. Um, And then I went on to get my master's degree. And um, I think... I had such enthusiasm for the idea I knew from my travels that there are many people who don 't live near where there 's a monastery training center, and so how are they going to get training unless we do it virtually and so I mm. came up with this idea to create a, a virtual program and i I found some people who were very generous through my church, actually, and who were willing to sponsor me and cost a lot more money than we thought it was going to cost because the technology, we built yeah. it in Moodle, and we, you know, it's, it's growing. So we started with probably 25 students the first year, and now we've got hundreds of them. And um, we have several start times during the year, and we do a lot of professional development. And I, I frankly have never felt oppressed by anybody, by any, whether, you know, being a woman never interfered or never even occurred to me that that was an issue. I've just always, I think my parents gave me a lot of encouragement to be independent. And so Mm -hmm. I've just set my eyes on what I wanted to do and I've done it.
1: That's great. That's fantastic. I love that you're talking about how we really, we really We make our own oppression in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can kind of live in that mindset, that victimization mindset. And it's very refreshing to hear you say that, like, you can forge your own path and you can do that in a um, non-victimized way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't
0: easy. Yeah. Like, I'm sure... Unless, I mean, if it was, tell us the secret, (laughs) Um, but I'm sure it wasn't easy, but you still did it. You still kind of pushed yourself, um, to reach your goals. That's fantastic. That is.
2: Well, you know, I did got married in 1974 and, um, my husband was very supportive of what I wanted to do, and he was a good babysitter when I would be writing and doing things in my college education. He was a chemist and became a Montessori elementary teacher as well, and um, you know, it it worked, and I had a lot of support. I, I was head of the school where my children went to school, and I have often thought that I probably would not have felt able to have the career that I had had I not had my children in a school that I was able to check in on them every day if I wanted to and make sure that things were going right. And yeah. so everything kind of worked together to, to really yeah. help me uh, accomplish what I wanted to do. And I, I didn't start out with any interest or desire to be a trainer of teachers. But in 1979, I got a letter from a woman. Her name was Dr. Elizabeth Kaspari. And in her letter, she said she had been a friend and student of Maria Montessori during the time that they both lived in India. And I thought, yeah, right, you know, but I called her and it turned out then she came to visit and it was true. And she had actually been very good friends with Montessori and she had run a training center for many years um, and offered to take me under her wing and teach me how to become a trainer. So I had a formal kind of a train the trainer program, which I think was very, very useful and I met her when she was 80, and she was my best friend and she, until she was 102. So we had 22 years of close friendship. And she was the godmother to my children and just a wonderful friend and mentor. So, again, she was a woman who grew up in Switzerland, went to India. World War II was broken out, and they weren't able to come home. She and her husband had to stay there for 11 years. But she came back and started a school and understood that, what God wanted her to do, she could do. And it was just that simple. Wow. Just that difficult.
1: Right. I love good stories about women lifting up other women. I think that's such a beautiful message yeah. for women's bond.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is a question about Montessori, I just thought of before I lose it. Do you think Montessori is for everyone? Or do you think like only certain kids should do it? And then also, you said that there's Montessori schools all the way up like through college. I didn't even know it was outside of elementary school. Like, I know there's a Montessori school near me somewhere, um, and I knew people went for elementary school, but I didn't know they went for high school,
2: too. It's not so well developed at the high school level and the college level, but it's, it's going in that direction. It started with a preschool, three to six-year-olds, and then it expanded to elementary and then down to infant-toddler. And uh, as I said, it's all over the world. But um, I, I actually think that because it's based on sound child development and it's the whole concept of creating an environment that meets the needs of everything that's developing in the child. So there are some Montessori that are better than others, obviously, because it all goes through the consciousness of the teacher. But I think Montessori, the concepts behind it and the putting the child in touch with his inner being is is universal in, a, in appeal.
1: Okay okay cool yeah like yeah. if you walk into the Montessori classroom um you're not gonna see really like the formal desks you might see right. like some rugs you might see some smaller tables but like what Marianne was saying it's very um it's very like creating a, a stimulating environment so that the child feels interested in picking up you know this sewing this little sewing kit or um whatever they find stimulating for themselves whatever sensitive moment they're having um, that they can really flourish with. Does that make sense? Yes, this is so interesting. Is. Yeah, you should look up images of a Montessori collection. Yeah. It's beautiful.
0: And I'm so easily convinced about everything because now that I'm like, wow, I guess my kids need to go to Montessori school. Like, <laughs> you haven't even fully told us anything yet, but I'm like, you, you've already kind of sold me.
1: Yeah, she's wow. Convinced.
2: I think uh, Freeman and I had the conversation when she was here, what would we like? We might be a little different if we had had (laughs) Montessori when we were little children.
1: Yeah, I know. There's so many stories of like my, you know, public school, like humiliating me or not taking a test. Not doing good on tests, not having enough time to eat lunch. Like, I could never go to the bathroom whenever I felt like it, you know? Yeah. It's just like... And that you know, Sword, you can just
0: go to the bathroom, whenever you yeah, want Yeah, you just,
1: know. you know... Wow. It's like things like that where you trust the child yeah. who has his own interests at heart. Yeah. And of course, you don't give them, like, knives. Right. But you trust that they know what they need right now. So if a child needs to, like, sit there at a door handle and learn the mechanics of the door handle for, like, an hour, <laughs> wow. would you, I mean, you would probably allow that child to explore the door handle, right?
2: Absolutely. And avoid what? situations like when I was a little girl, I used to get yelled at for slamming the door because I was always in a hurry running from one room to the other. And well, then, nobody ever showed me, well, if you just take the door and do this little thing and then open it and then let it go quietly, you can close, open and close the door without slamming it. Like, mm-hmm. it, it would have saved... I think the lessons that we do in the practical life area, which is everything from washing a table to dusting and, you know, opening and closing door handle, it saves the child from the humiliation of not knowing how to do something. So we show him how to do just common everyday things. And like, we have a phenomenon in this country of illiteracy that is absolutely shameful. And in Montessori, we have... Letters cut out of sandpaper and the child just traces the letter and says the sound. This is A, this is B, and so forth. And little by little, they know the letters, they know the sounds, and then we have little movable letters and they can build the words. And it's like, I think on average, in the classrooms that I've taught and that I've supervised the teachers for, probably 98% of the children learn to read by the time they go to first grade. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's, and it's like people there's there's such battles going on, intellectual battles of adults thinking what children need. But Montessori was a scientist and she just said, you know what, I'm just going to put some things in a room and sit back and watch what they do and see what they gravitate towards. And so over Mm -hmm. the years, she spent 40 years doing this. And then little by little, she found the things that they were interested in wanting to do. And that's how the Montessori materials, there's probably 200 pieces of material in a classroom and the child gets to come in and they're shown how to use them and anything that they want to do on a given day, whether it's math or whether it's tracing the shape of a triangle and a circle and a square, whatever it is, it's there for them. So every choice in the classroom is constructive. And so we can give them the freedom to choose. And by that freedom, you know, they show who they are. And who they are gets reinforced by getting to do these great materials. And I've seen so many children, my my children and their friends as they've grown up, the things that they were attracted to, whether it was art or math and science or reading, whatever, they're doing that as adults in their career. So they show, they reveal themselves. But how often are we looking? And I think in Montessori classrooms, we look.
1: Yeah. Wow. It is really, really fascinating. That's cool. And Mariel has such a passion for
2: it. It's so, so sweet. I do.
1: <laughs> I, this is great. I'm um, learning so much. <laughs> so I want to kind of go back to your, you, you, you talked a little bit about your higher education. Can you explain, I think there's some philosophies right now going around that um, strongly, strongly encourage. Well, so let's start off. So on the left, of course, there are people saying women kind of should reject in a lot of ways um, their femininity. Like, I know we hear terms like be aggressive, be a girl boss, like um, play the game, be assertive, be strong. And then on the right, we hear people say women should not achieve a higher education. Um, they should get married after high school and have babies, which, if that works for you, I don't yeah. think either one of us have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. But they're just, there are. It feels extremes. like there are some extremes. So what would you say to women who are kind of being fed both of these extremes in today's society?
2: Well, I think it's not so simple as right and left. I think it's a symbol of, uh, a, a symbol of um, not knowing who we are. Mm. And so why would you listen to somebody? You, you, you have to figure out who you are, what you want to do with your life, and figure out how to do it. And so I don't see it as a right thing or a left thing. I see it as as we as a culture don't have that sense of a woman's power, of a man's power. We have the right to fulfill our destiny. We have the right to create our destiny. Mm -hmm. And I I just I don't see it at all political. I I see it as just a failure of our culture to inculcate that fact that you have the fire in your heart to do what you want. Mm -hmm. So let's nurture that. Let's not worry about what the right wing or the left wing says. And I don't know anybody. I know a lot of right wing people. I know a lot of left wing people. I don't know any of them that want their wives to stay home or the women to stay home. That that is a little simplistic, I think. And I think um, we just have to go forward and Mm -hmm. not allow ourselves to be colored by the divisiveness that's being preached at us every day.
1: For sure. That's yeah. good. It's a very divisive time.
0: Um, and,
1: go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say,
0: I really like how you said knowing, like, who you are and knowing, like, what you're interested in and not listening. I think that, um, so I talk to a lot of younger or college-age girls about various things. And they're always, uh, whenever we have conversations there, a lot of times they're explaining to me how they really want to go in this direction but they're not sure because they want to make sure they're doing the right thing. And they heard that this person went to die. And I try to always just be like, well, what is God telling you to do? Yeah. And what do you feel the most comfortable with? And, like, reminding everyone that your timeline is going to be different than, um, you know, Sally's timeline. Sally's timeline is Sally's timeline. Sally's going to go this way. Um, but we need to go. You need to go whatever way God has called
2: you to do. Mm-hmm do
0: you have any advice for trying to figure out like what has God called people to do? Do you have, how did you figure it out yourself?
2: Yeah. Um, I don't think I figured it out as much as little by little. Um, when I felt my heart open, when I felt the door open, then I went through it. Um, and, and it was, um, you know, I think in, in relationship to what you just said, Mallory, I think there's really, people have their own internal timeline. And I have two daughters and one son. And one of my daughters um, had leukemia when she was three years old. She went through a lot of difficult times and she's fine. She was fine by the time she was seven or eight, but she was a late bloomer. Everything came late to her and she's 40 now and she's really blossoming. But it's taken time, whereas my other daughter was blossoming by the time she was in her 20s. And, you know, you can't compare apples to oranges because they're just they're their own individual. They've had their own traumas. They've had their own life experience. They've had their own, you know, they were loved. They were all my children were loved, but they went very different directions. And I think my job and I think many parents struggle with this was to say, OK, I'm here to support them to do what they want to do, not what Mm. I want to do and some unfulfilled wish of mine that my child will fulfill. And I think Mm. that's a trap. And I know when I was first going to college, my father died when I was 18 and he had wanted to be a lawyer all his life. But his father died when he was 14. He had to support his family. He never got to go to college never got to go to school past eighth grade. So I think part of me took that path of being in political science to fulfill my dad. And it was when I started really through meditation and just saying, okay, there's something inside of me. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God wants me to do. I have no idea. So let me just back away a little bit and pray. And I think it was through prayer and through trying to, I use the word attune. I tried to attune with what my inner I don't know what you'd want to say. The spirit or the inner voice was telling me. And little by little, um, it was a matter of, yes, I like this. No, I don't want to do that. Yes, this. No, not that. Yes, this. And, you know, yes, teaching. Teaching for me was hard. I like teaching adults better than I liked teaching children, actually, in some cases. But I had to go through, you know, 20 years of that experience to prepare me to do what God really had in mind for me. Right. so you know there's no simple answer to that I don't think for any of us
0: right no that's good because you hear at least I, I like listening to podcasts where about entrepreneurship and when people are giving their story and um I feel like more often than not you hear yeah then one day I was sleeping and I saw this big cloud in the sky and I knew I was supposed to invent Water, yeah. you know, I don't know yeah. bad example. <laughs> but like, You know, you hear all these things, and I've been waiting. Like I, I think I know what I'm. I, I'm pretty confident what I'm called to do, but I didn't really have this big moment. Was, I was kind of like what she said. It was more like um this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And I was like, you know, I guess I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and okay. I think that's good to hear stories like that because I yeah. do feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, you know this big thing happened and then I knew I was supposed to go down that path
1: like a large epiphany yeah and I think
0: and it also goes back to what your timeline is is different than someone else's timeline maybe that person did have that vision and that was how they were supposed to do it but Mm -hmm. you might need to hear or might need to do trial and error and kind of like saying yes to open doors and walking away when the doors Mm closed that was good that was
2: good well I've nurtured and worked with a lot of teenagers over my over my career and, you know, on rare occasions, they know exactly what they want to do with their life. And they're very clear about it. And whether it was a revelation or just growing. But many kids, including some of my own, just had no idea. And it had to get slowly unfold for them. And, you know, it's it's like I, I sometimes think people think they're going to be saved by the Holy Spirit on one day and then, then it's it's done. And I think, well, you might have a revelation, but you're going to have to keep working at it every day.
0: Yeah, for sure. sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah.
1: Another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What advice do you have for um, women and moms who are trying to do it all? You know, it sounds like you were able to do it. And I would say very successfully. But um, what advice do you have for those of us trying to just juggle you know, being a mom
2: and, um, being in the workforce. You know, I think this is a question that's come up really a lot during the pandemic when so many women, um, have been forced into situations that were not to their liking. Um, I kind of think, you know, if you look at Ecclesiastes to Ecclesiastes, to everything, there is a season. And I think sometimes, um, to give your all to your children is something you'll never regret. And maybe you do that for a, for a cycle. And then, and then, you know, when my daughter got sick, for example, I had to quit my job like that and I took care of her for two years and then I went back and I was so glad. I mean, I, I had no choice. Um, But I was so glad in retrospect that I had been able to just devote myself to her and, you know, making everything, all the food that she needed and taking care of her and giving them the medications and whatnot. But I think the advice would be to just try to find a peaceful place inside of yourself so that you could figure out, okay, um, I've got this responsibility and this responsibility. I've got my job. I've got my children. How am I going to best make it work? Who if I can't be at home with my children, who who can I trust? Where you know, if you have to put your children in a daycare center, or if you have a a relative that might help you, like my ne- my nephew, his his wife's mother and grandmother take care of their baby, so they can both work and they're saving up to buy a house. So it's it's a great thing. They miss being with their baby every day, but they know that 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 she's in safe hands. So I think to me, safety is probably the most important thing. Safety and kindness from the person who's taking care of the children and just find that that's easier said than done believe me i know but try to find a point of balance where because we used to have a school psychologist and she made a very interesting point she said the children who come to school and are out of sorts every day and who have tantrums and are having difficulties she said if you look back to the family situation the mother's not willing to let their child be in the school, but they have to, to go to work or they have to, to go to school or whatever. And so if the parent can come to a point of peace that it's going to be okay, I still going to love my child. They're still going to have time with my child every night and every morning and whatnot, but find that place where you can be at peace with the choose that choices that you're making, your children will do better. And I wow. thought that was a very wise perception. Yeah. Cause
0: kids can pick up on things. I've seen that. They, de- they definitely. Yeah. Change. I've watched just how some of my little cousins pick up on, um, even like language that we use. And I remember when, because um, all kids go through the phase of repeating everything you say. <laughs> I remember when my little cousin was repeating everything my brother would say. Like, literally, it was, I was younger, <laughs> so I was like, this is so weird. Like, can he leave? Like, why is he doing this? Um, but, like, that's what they do. They pick up and they can. Uh, um, yeah, they can feel
1: that energy that
2: But yeah, wow. I love how you called mm-hmm. that the absorbent mind. They, they they build themselves out of what they're exposed to and literally if they're hearing well-spoken language or they're hearing cursing, they're going to take it in and they're going to repeat it. So I have children that come to school at four years old, swearing up one side and down the other. And they don't even know that they just know that maybe these are not naughty words, but they don't know what they mean. Yeah. They're not doing yeah. it deliberately, That that's just what they've heard. And so then we always talk to the parents and say, you know, this is what's happening and maybe you want to curb that at home. And, and, you know, it's not something you're going to spank your child for, but it's something you're going to try to curb in yourself. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And I love how you touched on the importance of, um, like moms being able to trust ourselves. Like when we do have to make tough decisions, maybe, maybe it's, we have to go to work. We can't be with our kids all the time or, um, whatever it is, just being able to trust yourself and find what you said, that inner peace. Um, I think that can be really hard. I know that I don't really always trust myself to make tough decisions. Um, Mm -hmm but I love, I love just that reminder.
2: Well, yeah. you know, I think every one of us has to find what does it take? Does it take a 15-minute walk in the woods? Does it take a little yoga? Does it take some soothing music and you just sit down? I mean, sometimes if you're a mom with three kids in the house, you don't have time to do any of those things. But you have to yeah. find those few minutes when you can do what helps you find peace. And everybody finds their own.
0: Mm-hmm. if
2: they even know to look and that is part of the problem not everybody even knows to look
0: yeah that's a good point because with life you know the hustle and bustle of life mm-hmm. sometimes you don't think about like um about peace about like relaxing and like taking a moment to realize like what am i doing what do i need to do to just be calm i guess Because mm-hmm. when i think of peace i think of calmness like yeah.
1: Um, and I think sometimes you just don't think about it because I I struggle with that personally. I don't even have kids yet.
2: But right. I struggle with that. <laughs> it is really tough. Well, I I watched myself over the years, and the more I would get really wrapped up in work and really with timelines and things that had to get done at certain times, because I was running a school as well as teaching for some of those years, I find that then my I wouldn't lose my temper, but I wouldn't have so much patience with my children. So there was such an intimate connection. And I would see that and I'd say, wait a minute, something's not in balance. And uh, sometimes you just have to take some deep breaths.
1: (laughs) Because it's not
2: stopping. The things that are around you are not stopping, but you have to find a way to get uh uh, on top of it are and i always i I tell teachers i said you know if you're in an office and somebody really ticks you off okay and you know you can just you know take a walk you can go out to the water cooler you can walk out of the building you can do whatever you need to do but if you're in a classroom with 20 children or with you're at home with your two and three little children you can't do that yeah. So you have to find that way to take some deep mm-hmm. breaths, say, okay, just walk away from a situation instead of feeling you have to solve it right now. You have to get on the child for that. Maybe you just need to take a breath and let, let it settle before you interact. Because when we yeah. interact in anger, we make mistakes, big mistakes. and things, yeah. We say things and we do things that we might later regret.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's the truth. Um, So I have one question before the last question. I just thought of this. Um, What are some of the arguments against Montessori? Because honestly, right now you've like sold it to me, but I'm just wondering, like, why is this not like, why doesn't everybody do it? What are some arguments? And then, you know, combat those arguments once you get one or two.
2: I think the number one argument is that it has been primarily in private schools and it's not affordable. And what's been happening is that there are now hundreds and hundreds of public school systems in the United States that use Montessori exclusively in some cases, or as an option in in many other cases. Um, There are, but the, the preschool level is, you know, there are big movements to make, universal preschool. And if that's the case, then Montessori will be in a situation where we say, well, you know, if you want universal preschool, we've already got some really wonderfully established systems and classrooms that you can, you know, if, 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 you, if the state wants to pay us rather than the parents or whatever, find whatever balance. So I think that's been a primary one, that it was exclusive. Um, I think that there are some people who like when, when you're in a Montessori class, you, you, the teacher might say to the child, you can find whatever work you'd like. Well, the word work strikes some people as, oh, you're forcing them to do things. They have to just play. Well, Montessori made the point, and I, I believe it with all my heart, that finding the work that satisfies their inner development is play for them. They don't know the difference between the two. It's an artificial adult construct. Um mm-hmm. I think when Maria Montessori first came to the United States, she was fated at Carnegie Hall. She was um, President Wilson's daughter, trained in Montessori, had a Montessori school in the basement of the White House for the children of the staff. Um, Wilson was thinking about making it a, a, you know, a national system. And I think the powers that be that that are kind of, we all know, principalities (laughs) and powers in high places, they didn't want to see this woman have control over education. They would rather keep it in their ivory tower and what their theories of education were. So I think Mm -hmm. there's been a stress and strain at that level. Um, I have a a good friend of mine who was a writer of early childhood textbooks for the teachers. And um, so people who go to college and study early childhood development would use his textbook for many, for many years. And he had a whole series of chapters in there on Montessori. Well, at one point, the publisher said, you, you've got to take that out. We don't want to be endorsing any particular thing. So he just took out the titles of the chapters that were not Montessori any longer, but it just kept the same content. And, you know, but it was that that point of of these academics who think they want to be in control, just like the politicians want to be in control. The economists want to be in control. Whatever the doctors want to be in control, they they feel threatened by Montessori because it appeals to your heart and it and it's easy to understand. Um, I think that the other piece of that might be that some Montessori schools don't do standardized testing, which I don't agree with. I think that when we get into elementary school, the children should do it every year. And if we're not meeting the standards, then we should think back to what we need to do better. But because Mm -hmm. of that, I think uh, many children who can do so many things, but they don't have the same vocabulary as traditional children do, so they can't answer the questions properly. So I've always made it a practice. I get little, you know, practice tests and we learn how to color in the bubble with your pencil and we learn how to how to take a test so that you're preparing children for life because that's what Montessori said we need to do but not all Montessori schools have done that in the past and I think that's changing as Montessori grows because it's really getting traction around the country and around the world because there's such a realization that I guess the concept of one size fits all has been what traditional education is somehow crazily built on. It's like every third grader in the third week of the fourth month should be doing this. Well, that's nonsense. Yeah. It's just nonsense. So by the virtue of the way they've set it up, a lot of children fail. And in my perception, no child has to fail. We just find what they can do and take them where they are and move them forward. They might not be at the same level as the really brilliant children in your classroom, but so what? That's God made them the way they are. Let's take them as they are, accept them, and educate them. Because education doesn't mean what we think it means. If you go back to the Latin root, education means educare, to lead out from within. So Whoa. we're trying to help the child express the best they are, not some artificial level of this is what you're supposed to know when you get to this age. Wow, It's a, it's a huge, huge change of philosophy.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Wow. I know last know last that question? answers your question, but it's definitely... <laughs> that
0: was awesome. Yeah, you. yeah, that was good. Um, so the very last question we asked all of our guests, um, and it is, if every single girl in the entire world was looking at you right now and you had to give them advice, what would you say? And it doesn't have to be education. It can, because that's what the episode's about. Um, but if... It can be about anything. Every girl, no pressure.
2: <laughs> Just keep asking the question: Who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I? What do I mm-hmm. like to do? What do I do well? How 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 can I how can I do that? I
1: love that. I love that.
2: Ask. That's
1: really good.
0: Um, well, thank you. Oh, go ahead.
2: Are you say something else? Well, I, I did want to, one of the questions that Freeman sent me was what Bible quote I loved the most. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And so I'd love to share that. Um, I love the Gospel of John, Chapter 10, and the parable of the Good Shepherd. And i am always touched by the statement that the sheep know his voice and he knows every sheep by name. And to me, that is such a comfort that the Lord knows me and I can, yeah. I know his voice. I can discern his voice from the voices of those ones that try to make me do other things that I know are not right. And I I uh, have written a book that I'd like to share with you. It's called Nurturing Your Child's yeah. Inner Life. And Thank you. there's a whole chapter in here on how to teach the parable of the good shepherd. And we have materials, a little sheepfold with little sheep and a little figure that's the shepherd that we learn the child soon learns that that's Christ. And it's it's very precious. Children from two and a half up can do this lesson. And um, this book just has a lot of insight that I've gleaned over many years about how we can um, assist the the spiritual development of our children, and I think if we think about the spiritual development of ourselves, as well as our minds, as well as our bodies, you know, people are obsessed with their weight, they're obsessed with their skin, they're obsessed with all these things. But that's not what God matters. That's not what's inside. And um, I think we have a long way to go as a civilization. But I think. People like you who are bringing up these these wonderful issues and and inviting women to talk to each other about what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to to find your own way in this this turbulent world. We we have to start with very young children and help them know that they can do whatever that is that they want to do.
0: Absolutely. Wow. Okay, that was great. We're going to link your book. Um, It's on where is it available?
1: Amazon, Um, right? It it's Amazon. on Amazon,
2: and it's available through um, AIM. We changed our name from Age of Montessori to Authentic Institute of Montessori, and we okay. have many copies here available for you. We'll just send them to you. And, um,
0: okay. Well, um, I'll link all of that, everybody, in the show notes and in the description um, so I can get the book. That okay. is fantastic. Well, well thank,
2: thank you, you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. You guys yes. have a great job what you're doing. Oh,
1: thank, thank you. you. You as well. Keep up the good work. Yeah, well, seriously. We, well, we definitely pray for you guys, and we know you guys are going to continue to do amazing work, not only for, you know, children, but also for teachers. Yeah. And especially the women that are really, really thinking a lot about our nurturing spirit. Yeah. I just, love, I just love that you guys are really bringing that out. I have a couple teacher friends that I'm going to send this to
0: this episode, because <laughs> I think they would really... Value because I mean, one of my friends really quick, and then we do probably should wrap it up. But one of my friends I'm thinking about, I remember she's wanted to be a teacher since we were in middle school, and she's always liked all of that, and she's kind of um going back and forth a little bit between like where she should be teaching and i think she would find this episode very encouraging because i think she'd be a great montessori teacher she's yeah. definitely one of those like hands-on people we've done summer camp together mm-hmm. and she was i mean doing all this stuff <laughs> she's really hands-on, so i cannot wait for her to hear this yeah absolutely. um
2: yeah.
0: thank you so much for coming on and everybody listening this is a great episode to share and honestly to have conversations with your um friends that are already have kids with friends that want to have kids but people who want to um who want to just um make sure they're in or like i guess figure out where they are Mm -hmm. um Like where, if they're following God's path for themselves, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So this is a great episode for everybody to share. Um, and if you like it, please make sure you subscribe, uh, wherever you're listening, follow on Spotify, like on, um, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, interact with it. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. I need to mention, you think that's it? Okay, that's
1: it. Happy Women's Month, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, happy
0: whatever day it is you're listening to this, however, whenever you're listening. Bye,
2: everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.